Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about mortgage rates and what we should expect after the inflation data and bond auctions last week. First, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking to Desmond Smith, Chief Growth Officer at UWM, about SafeCheck. Desmond, how does SafeCheck work? Hey, Sarah, how are you? So I would say first, you know, SafeCheck is allowing uh, LOs to give their bars peace of mind. So let's start there. You know, trigger leads have become a very large issue, not just in the mortgage space, but in any time someone's getting any type of credit. So we created SafeCheck to help prevent kind of that um, aggravation and nuance of receiving, you know, tens, twenties, hundreds of calls that consumers receive. So what happens with SafeCheck is any LO who uses UWM, it's an exclusive product SafeCheck is to UWM, they would be able to either pull a single or tri-merge soft pool credit report. And while that credit report is being used to run AUS, they will have time to opt their consumer out of any solicitations and then therefore they will not receive all of those annoying calls and annoying solicitations. And that is also a big benefit because the, the cost of the credit bureau is much cheaper by leveraging SafeCheck. So it really is a win um, for LOs and it's obviously a win for consumers so they don't receive so many phone calls um, offering all different types of products and services. I can see how that could be a game changer. Thank you, Desmond. And listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah, Friday morning from Anguilla in the Four Seasons. And uh, yeah. Just taunting us. You know what? It is a glorious morning in Denton, Texas. What can I say? It's like 105. You know, who wouldn't want that? But listen, we have a lot to talk about because we had some inflation data. We had separate from that, the bond market kind of go crazy. So walk us through what happened and where we are with mortgage rates. Okay. So the the 10-year yield initially reacted positive to the CPI inflation numbers, as we talked about in the previous podcast. There was a little bit of a risk to the downside on core inflation. So it came in a little bit lighter than expected. And the 10-year yield fell then it wasn't doing anything, and all of a sudden, it just shot right up. So we had an auction, um, a, a big auction that didn't go well. So bond yields, traditionally, what happens with a bad auction, with a lot of supply coming into the market, bond yields shoot up higher. And even today, the PPI numbers was fine, nothing nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, we see the constant growth rate of uh, inflation falling, and, you know, the we still have the overhang of supply. So if, if people are confused because the jobless claims data, even though continuing claims fell, the initial claims had a had a spike, the 10-year yield and mortgage rates are reacting to the uh, bond auction. So sometimes it's not about the economic data. Sometimes auctions uh, can move for uh, the 10-year yield and mortgage rates. And we saw that, a very good example of that uh, on Thursday and uh, Friday. 
So I think that was confusing to people because with the inflation data, it was like, oh, you know, maybe we'll see rates even go lower depending or at least long term. And then it was just like, so so what happens? Why was there an auction? What? Why was there a bond auction? Well, the, the, we're issuing a lot of debt. So there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, auctions of size of note. Uh, and, and this is kind of the 10-year yield was just hovering around 4% waiting for this auction to happen. And uh, it came in softer than anticipated. So there's there are some market dynamics that happens at times that doesn't revolve around the economic data of the day or two days. Uh, it tends to work itself out a little bit later. I mean, kind of like when the debt downgrade happened, there was no real market reaction to it. The 10-year yield just basically didn't do anything. Uh, uh, so there's there, sometimes we you don't need to read too much into anything. You just kind of keep it simple. And this was an auction uh, issue more than anything else. So this is going to go live on Monday. On Monday, do you still think we're going to see um, an effect from this? Like how long is this effect going to last? Um, usually settlement dates, three or four days, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get that cleared. We'll, we'll see how the data goes next week. But as we've talked about, we're kind of in the upper end range here on the 10-year yield. And usually things get a little bit hectic uh, because you, you, if you think of like a bond trader or a computer, if key technical lines are broken, uh, you know, that's where the frenzy happens. So as long as we stay away from four and a quarter, uh, that'll be good. But, you know, if you kind of move last time I saw it, I think it was at 4.14%. So we're, we're in this very key area and uh, we just need a 10 year yield not to close above four and a quarter percent, because then you could get some really market uh, wild moves. And, you know, when I talk about these channels that I, that I do every single year in the previous expansion, it was very easy. It was the same channel every single year. It's 1.6% to 3% on the, on the 10 year yield. But there are times even the previous expansion where we went below 1.6 and above 3%. wasn't there for very long, but uh, when you're at these levels, you, you have to be a little bit mindful of uh, market forces working. So let's transition a little bit and talk about the housing market tracker, which you write every Sunday, and you're looking at purchase apps, you're looking at inventory, and you're looking at mortgage rates, because we feel like these are the three forward-looking indicators that if you're in mortgage or real estate, you can really use those to see what's coming What's coming next. It's not just like looking backwards. So for this weekend, of course, you, you write that on Sunday. What are you looking for there? You know, one thing that didn't happen this year is that higher rates have not created uh, more active listings uh, as I was hoping for. Uh, and we've been here for a few months now, around near 7% or even above 7%. So, you know, we're kind of getting toward the seasonality area of inventory. And we want to see, does it, do we get any kind of uh, kick in active listings before the decline now that we are, you know, uh, kind of above 7% for, for the last few weeks. Uh, but the thing is, when demand is stable, and purchase application data, even though it's historically low right now, uh, if you look at the uh, data line, it's not really moving in any direction. It's been down the last few weeks. We have more negative prints now than positive, but the velocity just isn't the same. I think if there was one thing I try to explain that's very critical with housing data is last year we went from 6.5 million monthly existing home sales down to 4 million. That is a historic event. If that continued in 2023, 
that's a big deal. So I think too many people are harping on the low level of purchase application data without realizing it's not going anywhere much. Uh, it's now in a slowly decline. We've had more negative prints recently than positive, but uh, we don't have that waterfall collapse in the data line as we did. If we had continued that, if we went from 4 million home sales to 2 million, you have a totally different housing discussion. But as of now, year to date, 16 negative prints, 14 positive prints on the weekly data. I do some holiday adjustments. Uh, uh, and housing is just mortgage rates are too high uh, to get demand going. Uh, unlike the COVID-19 recovery, which was a very V-shaped recovery, we had a few months, uh, November, December, January, where we saw consistent purchase application data growth, and that gave us that one big print. We have not been able to achieve something similar to that uh, uh, manner. And again, uh, with home prices where they're at, mortgage rates where they're at, the total housing cost, this is why demand is uh, near 21st century lows. I, I do think it's interesting because you said, you know, with the high mortgage rates, you know, it, that, that is keeping demand at bay, but not as much as anybody would think. I mean, like you, like you started out talking about this tracker, I mean, everyone would think that with high mortgage rates, we were going to get more inventory. Here, here's one thing that um, I think my work is a little bit different than other people. I've always had this foundation belief that uh, we rarely go under 4 million home sales on the monthly sales prints after 1996. It's been a big talking point of mine for a very long time. Uh, and we got there last year. Part of the, you know, October 27th, let's keep an eye on November 9th. You know, uh, November 9th, we're heading toward 4 million. The reason I wanted to highlight that back in November, on November 9th was that if we get to that level, it doesn't take much to stabilize the marketplace. That's why if you're writing about what well, mortgage rates should fall next and, you know, demand stabilizes, we're here. And look at it in this light. There's over 156 million people working, right? So there's a lot of dual household incomes, really well-to-do off-middle-class people, uh, baby boomers who have so much equity when they sell their homes. You know, that mortgage rates at 7% here doesn't impact uh, um, the home buyers that are available like they did at the start of uh, 2022. Uh, and the reason I, I've always said that is that now that we're here at this level, can we break below this in a meaningful way? That, that to me would be like one of the more historic uh, uh, things that I've seen in, in housing economics, if that last layer of demand can't hold up. So it is a good question because a lot of people saw the biggest one-year sales collapse ever in history. And then it stopped. And a good example is we haven't gone below 4 million. Now, I've made a case that you can get below 4 million, uh, again, just because mortgage rates are high, home prices are back at all-time highs, five of the indexes. Uh, so you, you don't have any benefit of housing affordability didn't get better this year. It got worse. Uh, so you can make a case of going back below 4 million, but it's just not the same velocity. Right. And uh, I think if you if people are still confused, why aren't why aren't seven percent rates crashing home sales? Like There's just this layer of housing demand in this country that has always been there where the mortgage rates were at eight percent, three percent, five percent, where home prices were, you know, uh, 2008 or where they were uh, this year that it that is still able to buy. So I guess one of the questions that I have is like when you say four million on that, what would be a 
I don't know if you want to say typical or normal or more healthy market, how many home sales would you have in a year? When I, when I look at housing, if you get between 4.72 to 5.31 million monthly home sales on the existing homes, you're kind of back to kind of the pre-COVID-19 level. Now, years 2020 to 2024, it means a little bit different to me. And I thought that was the only period that we could have total home sales. This is existing and new home sales get above 6.2 million, something we couldn't do in the previous expansion. But with a little demographic boost, because I'm not a housing sales boom person, we can, we can get a kick up there. So to me, if you want to get back to kind of normal, it's between 4.72 to 5.31 million. That's where the monthly home sales would, would, would need to range. But again, when you have home prices escalate out of control, right? And this is why it was our, the big talking point for us for, for some time is that we have to worry about home prices escalating out of control. Is that affordability really matters more than ever? Because there's no more exotic loan debt structures. That's it, right? Uh, everyone is qualified before they make an offer. There are people that are qualified before they even list to sell their homes. So sellers are buyers, first-time home buyers, cash buyers. You put them all together. Um, you know, you can get up to 4.72 to 5.31. You're back to pre-COVID. I would consider that a normal, uh, healthy sales level. Down here, not so much. And to your point, if it broke even lower, which you've been talking about all year, you're like, if it, you could see it breaking lower and you're like, that would be really bad. If it broke lower with speed, then you you authentically have like, you know, a, a real critical housing inflation uh, uh, affordability issue, because now you're, you're that last layer of buyer that's always been there after 1996 is there? Here's a here's another example. Back in the '70s, when the baby boomers were first buying homes, existing home sales went from two million all the way to four million, and then with double digit mortgage rates, it went all the way back down to two million. Uh, here, we had COVID nineteen brought home sales down to four million. We went all the way, you know, uh, near seven million on the monthly sales price. That's it's a little bit different. We have more people working now than we did in the late '70s. So uh, realize this: housing. It's got many different buyers, first-time home buyers, move-up buyers, move-down buyers, cash buyers, investors. You put them all together, right? Uh, this is it's it's been rare to get under four million. And if you look at it in that light, you could see wow, home sales really collapsed. You know, last year uh, we haven't had any of the continuous bounce like we did in COVID nineteen and. 156 million people working, right? There's a, you don't need 17, 18 million home sales a year to keep things at bay, but you do need that 4 million level. And so far, you know, we, for a few months after 2008, we did break on underneath there. We didn't break underneath there during COVID. We didn't break there last year, but I can make a case for home sales getting underneath 4 million. It's just not the same speed. So this brings me to my next topic, which is something that you've been talking about on social media. And it's the strength of home buyers, but it's also the whole the the persistent myth that institutional buyers are taking all the homes. And I hear this all the time. This is one of those things that like your hairdresser says, or like your your cousin says, or whatever. It's just like in the air, right? It's just like when you and I talked about specifically the Airbnb bus, but there's still that whole like we we saw a whole nother thread yesterday from people about the institutional buyers are buying everything. Why is that not true? Class warfare economics is very popular in the post-2008 world. And I've always said that. So is reading, right? So right. we have some very educated people who finish college all of a sudden go on social media sites and say Wall Street is buying all the homes. And uh, not the case, never has been the case. 
Uh, anybody with a second grade education and visually could see, could look at the data, and they're just not as big as buyers. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to uh, uh, knock this down for many years is that people might say, oh, it doesn't matter if home sales go down because Wall Street will buy all the homes. No, they won't. They don't even have that capital, right? It's impossible for them. So uh, when you look at the data, it's majority mom and pops. It's always been majority mom and pops. Uh, uh, so uh, we, we, we have to realize housing is one of these sectors that class warfare or really bearish American citizens, like my, my dear, lovely friends, the anti-central bank people, they hate housing. Why? Because people buy homes, they have a fixed debt bar, they have sex, they have kids, they're middle class life, they're doing well. And it drives these people crazy that they do these kind of tweets about, oh, they find one one home in you know Redfin or Zillow that's down and they go, oh my God, this person is in... It's sociopathic behavior, but it's behavior that middle-aged men toward the end of their career or life, America didn't collapse. And so much of their time growing up was trying to portray this, this doomsday economy, and it just didn't happen. But, but with Wall Street buying all the homes, it's, it's, more of a, it's a very favorite on class warfare tactics, whether they're extreme right or left-wing people. Uh, it's been very common. My job is to shoot it down as much as possible because it's really easy. Second-grade education and visually see. I could get a kid off a street, you know, eight, nine years old, and they could figure it out. If they can figure it out, you as an adult, you with a high school education can figure it out as well. They were never the biggest buyers, and we, we constantly have to deal with this uh, lie that's been going on for a very long time. Mortgage buyers run the show. Right, purchase application data go up, demand goes up. Purchase application data falls, demand falls. Why? Because majority of the home buyers are American citizens, primary residents. That's how it's been since the Peloponnesian War. Some of you people need to just let this go, right? I think it's interesting because if you think about it, why is it such a big difference to people if it's a, a large institutional buyer or it's a mom and pop? Right? Like it really, like functionally, if an investor is buying a property. It's either going to be they're going to be renting it out or they're going to be using it as, a, you know, like a second home or, or something like that. Like, so what difference does it make? Class yeah. warfare. Yeah, no. Class warfare. It's I mean, you know, the person that's your friend, that's an investor. So you're not going to call them out. But Wall Street, oh, evil Wall Street. Right. You know, that's an easy target. You know, they're going to come in and outbid everyone. And there are pockets, you know, there's areas of the of the U.S. where they're more concentrated than others, of course, you know, but uh, it just on the economic side, they're just they're just not that big. They never have been that big. So if you're going to blame Wall Street for all the price gains, then on a mathematical mindset, you have to blame the millennials more than them because the millennials were the biggest home buyers for years before rates went up. So you can't blame millennials because it makes it sound bad. Oh my God, these young people buying homes, how dare they? You know, so we, it's class warfare is very common. Uh, uh, and, uh, you, you know, I, one of the most near and dear things that I ever wrote in my life was in 2019. I said, congratulations, America, you destroyed the American bears. Uh, it's on my blog, and it just listed all the nonsense stuff in the previous expansion, which was the longest economic and job expansion in history. And you could see that the the people in this country that use these class warfare tactics, uh, this is their life. And if they actually said, you know, America's the only really economic superpower left, you know, the economy's fine, they, the will to live for them is just not there. So this is why we deal with those tactics every day, and we just have to show the facts, right? The data 
matters. The rest is storytelling. And uh, mortgage buyers run the show. So when rates go up, demand goes down. Rates go down. Demand picks up. This is how it's been for a long time. This is why I like to draw those those little lines on the existing home sales uh, reports to show you, oh, rates went up here, demand fell here. Rates went up here, demand fell here. Rates went down, demand went up. Rates went so it's because mortgage buyers run the show. Some would say that leads to a mortgage rate lockdown theory, but that's something that you and I are going to discuss, as we said last time, at Housing Wire Annual in, in person with our audience. People should sign up for this uh is, so let's see. Is it is it uh, akin to the Mark Zuckerberg uh, Elon Musk cage match? Is is that and and who's who in this? <laughs> That's what we have to figure out. I I will present all my economic work <laughs> at that event to show that this is really a marketing line. It's been a marketing line for a very long time. This is not you know I was doing this before you and I ever met. You know, uh, because the mortgage rate lockdown was presented, presented as something that when rates fall, inventory goes up. If you're not part of that group, then I'm not talking to you. But the people always said the only way you can get inventory to grow is with lower rates. That has never been the case. Demand picks up because the buyer profile is just, it's not 100% home sellers that are buyers, right? A first-time home buyer does not give you a property. And when they finance 90% of their homes, the ability for inventory to grow in that environment is just not there. So um, I will present the case in a very good fashion. <laughs> And I will represent my side in a very good fashion. So in addition to class warfare, we also see a lot of generational warfare, right? I mean, you yourself like to call out middle-aged men. Um, right now, when we had millennials, um, they were the you know the majority buyers for a while. But I think in the last year, it's been baby boomers, correct? Yeah, baby boomers don't finance their homes as much. So uh, they're probably, you know, hey, I don't got young people betting against me anymore, Um of course, in certain markets, it doesn't matter because inventory is so low that you just get you know too many people chasing too few homes. But in this case, it was really uh, uh, transparent where in 2021, uh, the millennials, the younger and older ones, were the biggest home buyers in, in America. Now, last year, when we look at the data, it was actually Gen X. Gen X, as a, as a percentage, was the biggest home buyers. Uh, but they're in the middle. And nobody cares about us. So it's always the boomers or millennials. And in this case, I mean, I, I just think there's also just this uh, wrong take about homeowners themselves in general. Uh, uh, another thing about, you know, their stress and the credit data and everything. And Sarah, we're, we're, the recent data just shows 30, 60, 90, 120 day late mortgage delinquencies are at an all time low. This is very critical because... 2005, 6, 7, and 8, we saw an increase in foreclosures and bankruptcies. We had 4 million active listings in 2007, one year before the recession. In fact, we peaked in active listings in 2007, not during the recession. So uh, there's there's a more sophisticated way of looking at housing economics. I understand it's not that exciting. Well, and I think the other thing is, you know, people were very worried about the fact that um, as interest rates go up, people's credit card payments go up there, you know, people have really pointed to, since you've had some of the government programs expire, people have been putting more things on credit cards. Why is that not affecting homeowners as much, or or at least we're not seeing it reflected in the delinquency. So when you look at mortgage payment as a percentage of uh, disposable income, um, 
it's a pretty much near all-time lows. It's not near all-time lows, which means that liability, uh, total debt, uh, is near all-time lows. So credit card growth actually looks pretty normal. It had a very downward slope during COVID, and it's just catching up. Uh, so if you look at it in that way, it looks like every single year during the longest economic and job expansion in history, every year somebody told me credit card debt's up. Oh, my God, Americans are poor. They're broken. Every single year they've been wrong. They're wrong again this year. This has now almost become another broken clock theory. So the net interest expenses of the lower uh, income scale would actually really you know, hit itself, but also wage growth has also picked up on the lower end as well. So people have been talking about credit card debt rising for 11, 12 years and has not created the recession that people have thought because they, they kind of look at it in the wrong way. Household balance sheets look really good. Debt payments look really good. Credit card utilization rates, you know, how much credit card growth is, is there doesn't look abnormal at all. But that looks at a different kind of data pool than what it's it's sexier to go on social media and say one trillion dollars of credit card debt and you know uh, uh, and then make it a scary headline. But we're here in August and GDP growth is growing, consumers consumption is fine. Uh, the Fed's not pivoting by because the labor market isn't breaking, and uh, uh, we, we've had a very very bad thirteen run of really bad recession calls. A lot from Wall Street over the years, and uh, it's it's harder and harder to try to get information out to people that's real because the headlines, you know, are different. But if you look at credit card debt or household debt in that light, it makes sense. Household balance sheets, especially homeowners, why homeowners have a fixed debt cost or wages rise every year. So in inflation, your wages are rising even better, like really good. Renter doesn't have this issue, so we're uh, there. There should be no crying for homeowners. It's just. I mean, out of all the people on planet Earth, the 30-year fixed American homeowner is looking better than than ever, right? So there should not be any uh, uh, pity parties for them. I, I kind of joke around this. You know, people say, I feel trapped in my house. Oh, my God. You know, boo-hoo. You know, go tell your bank. Oh, yeah, let, let, renegotiate my 2.875 rate to 10% so you don't feel trapped. Come on. Right. If you if you can afford to buy another house, you buy another house. If you can't afford, don't make the you know crybaby mistake. Uh, oh, it's the mortgage rates that's keeping me numb. Right. When rates fall down, demand will pick up. When rates rise, demand gets worse. This is how it's worked all the time. But uh, don't make the excuse that oh, I it's it's mortgage rates. I it's I'm trapped. I don't know. Uh, it gets it gets into uh, a group of people that always said, "Oh, this is your forever homes. You're trapped. You're in trouble." No, every the homeowners are doing great. Their cash flows are great. Their cash flow has been great for over 13 years. Anybody who could read can see this. But we have a lot of people in this country who don't read, and that's the problem, Sarah Wheeler. That is we a have problem. To them the information because certain people choose not to read. That th- listen, as an editor in chief, that hurts me. That hurts me on every level, but. Uh, Great to have you on. Looking forward, we're going to have the housing market tracker again um, this weekend. We will be looking at inventory levels to really see if we have hit that seasonal fall off for um, for inventory, which we know is coming. And you know, we had the we had a really long stretch before we hit the bottom this year in April, April fourteenth, I believe. Haven't had much traction. Uh, don't expect anything to happen necessarily in the next couple of weeks, but uh, we'll be tracking it closely. 
We will track it one day, one week at a time to give everyone the advantage of looking at forward-looking data so you are not... What, 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 what do we don't want people to be, Sarah? We do don't not want, want them to be to old be. and slow, no. Old and slow, not in this world. You <laughs> want to be able to play ball, be athletic and energetic and go and have the data fresh, uh, not wait months for old data. Well, that is what we will be doing. Logan, thank you as always for being on. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.